Well, again, welcome everybody. We're going to continue on in our Unstoppable series. Okay, you've got your notes in your worship guide. And for those of you watching online, you've got your notes through version. Get those ready. There's going to be a lot of stuff to read through and pay attention to as we're going through this. Uh, we are continuing to go through this series through the book of Acts. And we're watching God work through his apostles, work through the believers that he has set aside for this time to begin to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're watching them seek him and allow him to use them for his glory and for his goodness. We've been, um, we've been doing this for the past three to four weeks, I believe, and something that's interesting that's kind of popped up, an interesting pattern, is that we have seen a lot of meetings and gatherings in the past few weeks in Acts chapter 1. If you've ever been part of a startup or some kind of a new project, you know that there's usually some kind of um, meeting to get together. Maybe there's multiple meetings, right? When you're starting something new, you get together, you're figuring out, okay, what's our message? What's our point? What are we going to do? What's our product? How are we going to get our name out? How are we going to get everything out so that people pay attention to us and buy what we have or attend what we're offering, right? Well, that's kind of what's going on here. It's interesting to see two weeks ago, Pastor Gary talked about the apostles and Jesus getting together, and Jesus told them about the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit and how they needed to wait in Jerusalem for for the Holy Spirit to uh, baptize them, and then they would be able to go on and do what they needed to do. Then last week, we heard about Jesus getting together again with his apostles and saying, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses. And then this week, we're going to read what's going to happen in another gathering. This time, Jesus is not there because at this point, he's ascended to be with his father. And, but, the, and, but he is going to speak through the apostles, and he's going to use them to do a task that needs to be done before they start getting ready to go. So let's take a moment and pray as we get ready to hear God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this gathering in this place that you've given us. We thank you for this family of God. And Lord, we ask that you would be with us, that our hearts would be ready and prepared for what you provide through your word. We want to know more about you and what you've called us to be. Lord, we also pray that you would be with those who are sick and who need healing. Thank you that Jamie is getting better. We pray that you continue to help her recover and everybody else in our church family who needs healing, God. Give them 100% recovery through your power. We're also grateful, God, that we have this opportunity through VBS Vacation Bible School in August. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to do the best we can to be a part of it and give us the strength to make it a great event for you. Thank you, Lord. And we also are grateful that there has been a stop to the violence and the bombing in the Middle East. We pray, Lord Jesus, that that would continue, that there would be no more violence. We pray, God, that you would heal people's hearts at this time and you would keep anybody else from being injured in that area, Lord. Thank you so much that we can trust you with everything. In your name we say these things. Amen. All right, before we get into this, reading this passage, it's kind of long, so I want to prepare you. I want to prepare you in a a, a, kind of a simple way, all right? We're going to be looking at this and getting a a bunch of details, and so let's look at this kind of like 
answering the questions of who, what, when, where, how, and why. Okay? Who, what, when, where, how, and why. We've already got three of these answers. We know that this is happening after the ascension because Jesus has gone to be with his father. He's not with the apostles on the earth anymore. We also know where this is happening, in Jerusalem. And we also know why they're doing it, because God told them to do it. All right? Pretty simple. So as we get into the rest of this, let's look for the answers of who, what, and how. All right, here we go, starting with Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Okay, who's there? All those people, right? We see the apostles and family members of Jesus. Going on to verse 15 to 22. This is going to tell us what is going on. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Now here's a side note about Judas. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language a keldema, that is, field of blood. Probably a little bit more than you wanted to know. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So there we have the what. What is going on? Judas needs to be replaced. Okay, going on to verse 23 to 26. This is the how. So they nominated two men. Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. All right, so we've got all our answers now, right? We know the who, the what, when, where, how, and why. We've got all those answers, and we've got the information to move ahead. It's an interesting thing that's happening here. You've got this situation where the apostles are waiting in Jerusalem. Jesus told them to wait. They're praying. They're constantly calling on God. It says that they're constantly praying. They're adhering to scripture, they're listening to what God is saying, and they're seeking God for wisdom and a decision. And they do that 
by praying, seeking God, and casting lots. So real quick word on casting lots. And just to bring this up, because casting lots seems kind of like something that we, can't re- we don't really relate to or may not seem like it really fits in a walk with Christ. Casting lots was something that actually was very common in the history of the Jewish people and other cultures of, as well. But as you read through Scripture in the Old Testament, you'll see there were various ways of doing this. And so when these apostles were doing this, they were doing something that was very familiar to them. And generally it involved having a certain kind of stones and tossing those stones and seeing how they landed and, and helping make a decision based off of that. Sometimes it would be sticks. There are some who thought this could be sticks that they were using, seeing how long they were, stuff like that. Now, it's important to recognize the main thing here. They weren't just leaving this, this decision up to chance or just kind of a gamble or guessing. What they were expecting is that God would show them through these objects, they would have some kind of sense of direction. That's how it worked in the past. And so this is what they, this is what they did, but notice that they prayed first. They were submitted to the Lord, and they, they always were looking to God for the answer. And This was just a means of getting that answer. The other thing to note is that this is the last time this happens. The last time in biblical history that this happens with Christ's followers because the Holy Spirit was, is soon going to come and the Holy Spirit will be used to speak to the apostles and the other believers about what God wants to be done. Okay? So that's just a real quick thing on that. But let's make some observations on this passage. Like I said, they're all doing their thing. They're seeking God constantly. And here are some observations. Simple things. First off, Judas's spot needs to be filled. Right? Judas killed himself out of guilt. And so he needs, his spot needs to be filled. There were 12 apostles, and now there are 11. And Peter's bringing this up. The other thing that it's important to get here is what we kind of mentioned earlier. There's constant submission to God's authority. Notice that everything that they're doing is based on God. Everything. They are not leaving one thing out that they're not involving or praying about to the Lord. It says they're constantly in prayer. They're constantly looking to him. That's an important thing to get. It didn't used to be like that, especially with the apostles. Last week we heard about how the apostles, they actually were not really great at following directions for quite a while. And there were a lot of weaknesses they had. However, now things have changed and they are constantly praying and seeking God. The third thing is this. Despite Judas's betrayal, God is still in control, and God is not surprised by what's going on. God is still in control, and he is not surprised by what's happening. That's a phrase we probably heard a lot about last year. But it's, it is interesting to consider he's not surprised at all, because as Peter brings up this talk, topic of having to replace Judas, this is what he says. He says these two scriptures, he quotes them, and says, these are the prophecies that were given, and this is how we know why Judas did what he did. Psalm 69, 25, May their place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in their tents. And Psalm 109, 8, May his days be few, may another take his place of leadership. This is talking about the one who would betray Jesus Christ. So we know that God is not surprised and we, by that because of the prophecies. We also know that he's not surprised because God has others ready and available to do the work of an apostolic ministry. 
Here's scripture again, verse 23 in chapter 1. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. And we know that Matthias is the one that was chosen. So real quick as we read through that and we see those observations, some real quick takeaways from Judas's betrayal, from his betrayal. Scripture was fulfilled and God's plan was fulfilled. Okay, that's just something simple to remember and hold on to. When scripture, when there's prophecy, God is going to make sure that it's fulfilled, as we saw here. The other thing is, God's plan was fulfilled. Something that's kind of interesting is that even though Judas did um, betray Jesus, God was still able to use that to fulfill the plan. Jesus had to die in order to rise again so that we could have victory from sin and death. So even the worst kind of sin or the worst kind of betrayal, God can use those things to bring glory to him. They're not, they're not beautiful or great, but he can use it to help people see that he is the light of the world and that he brings hope. So that's an interesting kind of um, angle to look at this. So along with that, we've got Judas's betrayal, some things we take away from that, but we can also look at Judas's life and pull some things away with that. You've got you to consider and think that when they're getting together in that room, all those 120 people along with the apostles in there, there had to be some thought and discussion about how could Judas do that? Why? How could that happen? I mean, he walked with us. He was with Jesus, the Son of God. How could he just turn like that and do that? There had to be some kind of feelings like that going on. They felt it for sure. That's why in that passage, they said, he shared in our ministry. So it, was certain, it certainly had to rock the world a little bit at some point, just to be thinking about that. And as we look at Judas's life, we can actually see that it wasn't just that he decided to betray. It wasn't like he just decided to do that out of the blue. His life showed a pattern that he didn't have the strongest character. And it is, it's important also to know that Jesus did choose him. He did know that Judas was going to betray him. He, he knew. In John 6, 70 and 71, it says this, have I, not, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil, he meant Judas, the son of Simon, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve was later to betray him. So he did know. But as we look at his life, it wasn't just that moment. There, thing, there were things that built up to that that he was already doing. An important detail about Judas is that he was the treasurer. I don't know if everybody knew that, but he actually looked after the money for the apostles and Jesus. It says here in John thirteen twenty nine. In a, in, a, in a recording of something that he was involved in. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. He was in charge of the money. So that makes things kind of interesting when we get into this next point. You see, although Judas was an apostle, he showed in his life, in his character, before he betrayed Jesus, he showed that he loved money. Judas loved money. 
John chapter 12, verse 1 through 6. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his hair with wiped his feet with her hair, excuse me. And the house was filled with the fragrance of that perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So there you go. Judas already showed a character flaw there. He loved money, and he helped himself to the bag or to the collection, whatever they held the money in, whenever he felt like it. So he wasn't really mad about that expensive perfume being used and being used that way because it was lost. He, he, he was kind of more upset because he was thinking, man, I could have really gotten quite a bit of change from that. That's what he was upset about. Now, the Bible does warn us. We've probably heard that scripture before, and the Bible does warn us about the love of money. Now, really important, this is not talking about having money. This is talking about loving money and what comes with money. With money, we have access to things. We have power. We have influence. We have a lot of different things that come to us with power. With money. Excuse me. But here in 1 Timothy 6.10, we read this. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Sounds like Judas. Matthew 6 says this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In other versions, it says you cannot serve both God and mammon, meaning the riches that come and and the evil influence that they can have in your life if you're devoted to them. So Judas already had this issue in his life. He was walking around stealing from his friends and from the Son of God, from God himself. There was already a problem. So when Judas decided to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, it really wasn't something new in a lot of ways. The second thing is Judas was a shallow disciple. Judas was a shallow disciple. Some might say a false disciple. This is kind of an interesting uh, consideration to take in because Jesus spoke of those who had false commitments and false devotion. They, they spoke about the fact that there would be people who would say that they could do um, great things but all, and, and that they, they did it in the name of Jesus or the name of the Lord but it really wasn't true. Matthew 7, 
This is what Jesus says. Jesus talks about this right here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Away from me, you evildoers. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. So just because you could do great things in the name of the Lord does not necessarily mean that you know the Lord or that he knows you or that you have a connection to Jesus, that you are actually in a relationship growing closer to God, that you're a disciple of him. You could do some amazing things. And you know what? For us today, we could put whatever we want in that list of things. We could... Tell, we could list, you know, telling people about Jesus everywhere, or we could list giving a lot of money to, a, to a, a missionary, or whatever you want to list. But there's something that's missing here, is what Jesus is pointing out. It's not about those things. It's about a connection, a relationship, a devotion, a heartfelt part of knowing God. It's not just about doing things. And this matches up with Judas. So you remember, Jesus, when he spoke with his apostles and his, or his disciples, and he was training them, he was teaching them, he sent them out to go out and do things that were pretty amazing. And here we have it in Matthew 10. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 disciples, or I'm sorry, apostles. Notice again, it says, authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Judas was part of that group too. It's kind, of, it's kind of mind-boggling to consider that the person that was going to betray Jesus, Jesus knew he would betray him, he also was given the authority and the power to cast out demons, to heal people. It matches up with, with Judas because even though he was able to do those things, God is the one, remember, God is the one who gave him the authority and the power. It's because of God. Last week we talked about that. We talked about how God is able to work beyond human limitations and even human failures. And so here is Judas doing these amazing things along with the other 11 apostles. And ultimately his heart is not devoted to Jesus. It's it's a pretty strange image to take in. And it's also a reminder to us, we've really got to consider our motives and what we're doing, why we're doing them. It's important. We do not want to be people who are shallow or false disciples. So Judas was not really submitted 
to the, to the name of Jesus. He was not submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, what we, what we talked about, one of the observations in the passage that we read is all of those people were constantly submitting themselves to the Lord's authority, constantly seeking him, praying, listening to scripture. That's what they were doing. So I think we might have, I think we might have the wrong slide up. So we can pause on that one for a bit. Or you can fill in the blank, it's fine. You have the answer ahead of time. <laughs> and honestly, it, Judas would not be able to submit to God if his heart was divided. He would not be able to do that. In Romans 8, this is a powerful scripture illustrating that and, and explaining that. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. It would not be possible. It's not possible for Judas to submit to God's law or to the Lord when he is already divided in his heart. He is not loyal to Jesus. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Something that's interesting to know, we just talked about people calling uh, Jesus Lord, Lord. And that was in a, a way of trying to kind of um, uh, appeal to the Lord. Hey, haven't you seen these amazing things that we do? Can't you just let us be in heaven with you? Can't you just let us be in paradise? It's kind of like they're using their things that they did to get in. Okay, well, we know that's, that doesn't work. That's not how it works. That's not how the gospel works. But something interesting in terms of Judas and the word Lord is this. Judas, there is no record in Scripture of Judas calling Jesus Lord at all. There are a couple times that he is noted saying to Jesus, calling him Rabbi. Rabbi. The first time was when Jesus, when they were at the Last Supper and Jesus identified him as the one who would betray. Judas said, Rabbi, is it me who will betray you? And Jesus said, what you said, you, you said so. The other time, Judas says, Rabbi, is when the actual betrayal happened. When Judas was leading the Jewish leaders and the Roman soldiers to find Jesus and he identified Jesus with a kiss in the dark of the Garden of Gethsemane, he called him Rabbi. Now that may not seem very significant, but it's important to consider because a lot of people can think that Jesus is a good teacher. Rabbi means teacher. But it's a complete different thing to have your life completely committed to Jesus and call him Lord of your life. It's an absolute different thing. We, we can go out, we can go anywhere and talk about Jesus and his teachings and a lot of people who believe in a lot of other things will say, oh yeah, he taught some really good things, really nice things. I'm going to use that in my spiritual life, in my journey, in my um, thing that I'm going to do with my life. But Jesus is more than a good teacher. He is the Lord of all. He is the Son of God. And it's in stark contrast that Judas did this because there are several occasions in Scripture that other disciples, other apostles, are noted as calling Jesus Lord. 
They called him Lord because they looked at him as such, as the Lord of their life. He was the one that would give them what they needed in, in uh, being saved from sin and then telling them what to do with their life. The other disciples, there are about six or seven other instances where that happened. The people in the room, they're, uh, in the room that we just read about, they're completely submitted to the Lord, right? Peter is a great example. Here's a scripture where Peter called Jesus Lord. He says, John 6, 60 uh, through 69. On hearing this teaching, on hearing this, it meaning this teaching, many of his disciples, Jesus' disciples, this said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Notice there it is, Lord. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just someone who was teaching them something. He was the Lord to them, to Peter and many other, obviously the other 11 apostles. He was the Lord. And notice the hard teaching. We're talking about shallow disciple and Judas. You know, when you go in a pool or you go to the beach, it's really nice and easy to be in the shallow part, right? It's really easy. You don't have to do much work. You just walk around. It's really simple. Get your feet wet. Maybe you get your legs wet. You get your knees wet. You keep walking. You keep walking. But when you get to the deep stuff, to the deep end, when you get further out in the ocean, it takes a lot more work. It's a lot harder to be out there. Now, it can be just as fun, maybe more fun, more adventurous. But it takes a lot of work. And Judas was not in for that. Judas was in for, in for getting money. And he was in for being connected with religious, powerful people meaning Jesus and the apostles. He was in it for a bunch of other reasons. He did not really care about calling Jesus Christ his Lord. He wanted all the other benefits that he saw available. So as we look at this, we see clearly that Judas is, a, is an apostle, is, is a follower, giving us an example of what not to do, right? What not to do. We don't want to be like Judas. We don't want to live a life that is um, living for possessions and money and other things, causing our heart to be divided and not really loyal to our God. We don't want to live a life that is full of a bunch of actions that we're trying to use to prove that we're good enough to other people and hopefully to God. We don't want to be like that. That's not a true disciple. That is a false disciple. That is a shallow disciple. That is someone who is not really calling Jesus Christ Lord. So what do we do? What can we do? We can talk about a bunch of different things, but it's really pretty simple. It's really pretty simple. Two things. First one, you already have the answer because you saw the slide. I can't surprise you now. <laughs> Submit to God. Submit to God. It's simple. 
Submit to the Lord. This is what we saw the 120 doing in the room. Constantly submitting to God's authority. They gave up their life, recognized that life without Jesus Christ was dark, ended in death, hopeless, nothing good. They let that go and they submitted their lives to the Lord. Submitted their lives to God. James chapter 4 says this, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. James chapter 4, 7 through 8. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. In other words, recognize your condition, your state of sinfulness. Be honest about it. Be real about it. We cannot defeat sin on our own. We cannot do that. If we could do that, we wouldn't need God. But if we could do that, we really would have already done it, don't, don't you think? We would have already done it. We cannot do it. We need to remember that. Whether, if we've made that decision to follow Christ already, we still need to remember that every day, all the time. We should never forget that. And we need to be spreading that message to other people. If you're here and you have not made that decision to follow Christ, this is, you should do that today. Because ultimately you may try, you may try to become good through actions of religiosity. You may try to buy your way to God. You may try to fix sin on your own, but it's not going to work. It's not possible. We do not have the power to do that. Our only hope is Jesus Christ, and we need to live for him, and we show that by submitting to him, humbling ourselves, calling on his name, and he'll save us. The second thing is also easy. Follow Jesus and obey. Follow Jesus and obey. And when I say these are easy, I'm not saying they're necessarily easy to do. I'm saying that they're not anything new. These are things that we hear all the time as we read scripture. Submit. Follow Jesus and obey. Right? We hear it all the time. But as simple as they sound or as simple as, as much as we hear them, Regularly, we struggle with these things, especially those who have half devotion or try to have half devotion. It doesn't work that way. And Jesus would not have said it so many times if it wasn't important. Numerous times. As a matter of fact, he said in one of the scriptures you already read, Matthew seven twenty one, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, who does his work. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands. That's how we worship. You can do a bunch of other things, but ultimately it does not matter if you are not doing what Jesus asked to do. If we are not keeping his commands following his teaching daily, regularly, it doesn't matter. John 14, 21, same thing. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Over and over and over again, 
We need to practice this. It is difficult to do, yes. I do not mean to sound trite that it is just an easy thing to do. But this is what we can keep in the forefront of our minds. If we are looking to please God, it does not need to be complicated. It is simply this. Submit. Work hard at submitting. Being humble. Seeing our sin as real and something we cannot fix. And going to Jesus and saying, help me. And obey. Follow and obey. There were plenty of people who followed Jesus. A lot of them. We just referenced that in scripture. But many left when things got really tough and difficult. Follow Jesus and obey. We're going to get ready to close this and we're going to sing a song in a little bit in response to what, we're, what we've been hearing. But I want to share this last scripture where this concept is shared again. And it's kind of a picture that a lot of us have in our minds. We've heard this before. It's this image that we can put in our hearts and our minds to kind of remember the effect of doing what Jesus has asked us to do versus what Judas did. Matthew 7 says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Very similar ending to what Judas experienced. He fell, and we know what happened. It is a great, terrible, messy crash. God is not looking for people who are going to be devoted to multiple things. He's looking for people who are devoted to him alone, allowing him to be the provider and the hope and the strength and the grace that they need. He's not looking for people who are going to try to get to him with great works. He's looking for people who are going to be obedient and listen and do as he asks. Let's pray. Jesus, in all things we come to you. Our hope is in you, Jesus. We cannot, we cannot fix our situation on our own. So we call in your name, we submit and we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would give us the strength that we need to live for you daily. To stick to the commitment. When things get difficult, help us, Lord, to put aside the temptations that come our way. And to submit to you so that we can be close to you. And the enemy will flee, just as scripture says. Lord, we ask that you would give us the insight and the understanding that we need to hear your words and to obey quickly. We give you praise and honor, Lord. In your name we say this. Amen.